<laughs> Hello. Um, we haven't done a podcast in a little while, but here we are. Hi, guys. Excited to be back. <laughs> we tried to stay on the schedule, but we kind of just have to do them when it feels right or when we have something. There's no rules. There are no rules. There are no rules. We don't get paid to do this, so. Even if we did. <laughs> We do them when we, we do them. We should be loud. Loud or do whatever we want with our podcast. True. I finally started listening to a podcast, finally, of my own volition. I know. I'm very proud of you. I never, ever, ever listened to a podcast in my life. Well, I guess I was on a podcast years ago, but yeah. that's the only thing I've ever listened to was the one I was on. Um, I started listening to Nympho Wars, which is a very different kind of podcast than what you usually listen to. Yeah. It's more comedy. I listen to some comedy podcasts. Do you? But it's more... Comedians talking to each other. Mm, not like yeah. skit, skit. Or, yeah, not really skit ones. I'm loving Infowars because they're very weird. It's just like kind of, you know, how, how you and I fuck around when we're together. Yeah. It would be like listening. People being forced to listen to that. <laughs> but once you get like the pick up on the cadences and the inside jokes and things like that, it's very entertaining because it's like hanging out with people. Yeah. Who are living in their own little world. I love it. I mean, the one the the conversational ones I listen to are kind of like that too. Mm. Maybe it's less. I don't know. Comedy driven. Yeah. Because these are like sketches. That's why you had yeah. no, that's why you had no idea what was going on when you were listening in the car. You were like, I just don't Yeah, most of them aren't sketches. They're more uh, just people just talking like they're friends hanging out, bullshitting. I've always been into radio plays. Like that's something I really like and these ones kinda of follow that. They'll do like sound effects and things like that. Yeah. So, there's some that like the one I was listening to yesterday was like a friend of theirs who had just gotten plastic surgery and they were hanging out with her and oh. talking to her about that, which was interesting. But Yeah, I feel like I don't mind a ra- like a radio play. I mean, I did that one with my friend Dylan. Mm-hmm. I voiced a character for it, but What's that one called? It's called Oh shit. <laughs> Let me look it up. It's, um... You don't remember what it's called? Babe. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> you were the star of it. No. Yes, you I were. I played a major character. I wasn't the star. It's called the All Color Tribe Podcast. Uh, yeah. I don't know if the... By your buddy Dylan. Yeah, by Dylan. <coughs> you guys check should that, look that up. Check that out if you want a uh, post-apocalyptic western style... You're into he's gonna hate if I say this, but Quentin Tarantino style story. Why would he hate that? I don't think he likes Quentin Tarantino. Rightly so. But but it's got that vibe. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh huh. You know, it's violent. It's gritty. That kind of shit. And you should also listen to Nymphors because it's hilarious. <laughs> you gotta get into it to know what it's about. You can't just drop in. I tried listening to it months ago, and I couldn't get into it until recently, and now it's my thing I listen to when I'm doing nails. Speaking of which, I'm doing nails now. That's a new development for me. Picking it back up, you did nails before, right? I did nails like 10 years ago, yeah. yeah. I decided to pick it up, but I just discovered really as of this morning that I have an allergic reaction to one of the chemicals I use. Yeah, your poor fingers, my they're fingers all peeling. Are like, and, pe- they've been peeling and, for weeks. I thought, it's like an eczema reaction, like a dermatitis eczema. 
I thought it was just from stress because I had to put my cat down. Rest in peace, cuckoo. I don't want to talk about that on the podcast. You don't have to if you don't want to. Well, we can we talk about how we're always planning on um, taxiderming? <laughs> yeah. We had big plans for my cat. My cat, cuckoo, is a special needs inbred. Some kind of trisonomy 21. Not quite all there. Slow and disabled in one way or another cat. But we always joked that when, joked or I was pretty serious about it that when she died, that, was that when she died, I was gonna taxidermy her onto a, a turtle form, like get a turtle shell and then stretch her fur and her limbs over like turtle forms that are used in taxidermy. But when the time came, I was pretty fucking torn up about having to put her down. It seemed pretty disrespectful and not okay to do that to her. When push and, and just difficult the idea of having my like dead cat in the freezer while I figured out how to taxidermy it or seemed yeah. like a lot on my plate when I was not feeling so good about that and then I think all the stress gave me an eczema flare up which I didn't know I got but now I'm thinking maybe it's nail yeah nails. it could be maybe it's an allergic reaction to something in the nails too and I don't know those chemicals it's not are in the kinda... nails it's just that one it's the, the nail cat. cleanser yeah. that I use something in it is it's alcohol well anything that's drying to your skin can make eczema flare up yeah so I've always gotten eczema every year it turns out I just didn't know that's what it was because it's never been as severe as it was this year and that's when I realized oh this is eczema I've been getting every year but I think the chemicals are making it really bad. Yeah, those chemicals can, are kind of gnarly. They're just drying. Any, it has alcohol, and it, it's alcohol and acetone, and when you dry out the skin, that's when eczema becomes yeah. more intense. But the smell, like, if I'm outside and you're doing them in here and I come in, I'm like, ooh. And I don't even do acrylic. Mm. Acrylic is like, I, I won't even do acrylic even though I love it, but I can't do it in my house. Anyway, um, why did we were talking? Why were we talking about my fingers? I don't know. Cause we're doing. Cause I was doing nail art. Yeah. What's Just, new with you? Not a whole lot. Um, you sold your uh, bike. I, yeah, I <laughs> sold my road bike today. So. Cause we're trying to buy a flight to Bali. Yeah, we're trying to go to Bali to visit my mom and travel a little bit if we can um we can we can and i wasn't really riding it too much i don't know i used to ride road it was a road bike i had i used to ride road a lot more to cross train for mountain bike racing and cyclocross racing but not really racing anymore and road riding isn't as fun as mountain biking so might as well get rid of it it's just sitting here yeah um, I think I was originally thinking I was going to buy a mountain bike with the money I got for it. But then, yeah, when we were more seriously considering going to Bali, then I was like, oh, we'll do that. <clears throat> yeah, and we found out that you only have a little time left on your passport. So we kind of got to do it now or later. Yeah. So we're going to do that. We're just looking at flights right now. Probably in September we'll be gone. Hopefully, if all goes as planned. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can do a podcast with your mom. Oh, yeah. I would definitely love to do a bunch of podcasts just kind of about the experience and all that. And mm -hmm. It'd be fun to do one with my mom. It's a very uh, unique, bizarre human. It's uh -huh. <laughs> probably where I get at least, at least half of my weirdness from yeah, both of my both of my parents are fucking characters 
Um, you've also been carving a lot. Yeah. Experiments. Doing a bunch of carving experiments, making like stuff, I guess, with a little more mass appeal. Chopsticks. Spatulas. I made myself a nice tobacco pipe. Mm-hmm. No, I don't really smoke tobacco, but it's, it's a fun, fun challenge to do from scratch. Mm-hmm. But it's not really You're that learning important. learning skills. Mm. Teaching yourself skills. Yeah. That's important, um, though. I don't know what else. Almost a bartender. You're almost bartender. That'll be good. Yeah. Get yourself out of Mohawk Bend. Yeah. I don't know where to go after that. A leather bar? Definitely. <laughs> Definitely Akbar somewhere. Akbar is not a leather bar. I know, but it's close. Not close to a leather bar, close to our house. Yeah. I, f- I feel like Fault Line's same. Speaking of Fault Line, we're going to do a backbed thing there in a week. Mini backbed uh, sessions. Uh, friend of ours, Uhuru, um, from the infamous band Fuck You Pay Us, is throwing a queer POC... Kink party. Pride. Pride kink, kink, yeah. Pride kink party. Queer POC kink pride party at Fault Line mm-hmm. next Friday. We're going to do backbeds for people, because that was the first place that you ever experienced a backbed, was at a play party. Yeah. And obviously the sessions we do, we're charging the price that pro doms would charge for a co-topping session, but we... Probably cheaper than... We're probably charging less than, yeah, especially because backbeds are not something that are easy to come by in, in pro dungeons. Um, most pro dungeons, from my understanding, won't do them because they're a insurance liability. But we do do those, but we wanted to do them for, like, a a much lower cost for this party to give people, and particularly at a party that is centered on queer and trans people of color, give them access to the bed um, in that setting, first and foremost. And then if white people or allies or whoever want to do it, they can help pay for another person's session to do that as well. Yeah. I feel like we should give a lot of them out for free. I don't know. That's up to you. That's your call. Um, I'm in charge. (laughs) I'm just like, yeah. I mean, I'm just like, if we just do backbed stuff, just feeling the sensation sometimes is all that a lot of people want. You know what I mean? Like the first time you got in, the first time I got in, I just wanted to know what it felt like. Yeah. You know, I don't need like the full session right out the gate. I had no idea. Yeah. I'd never seen one, heard of one, anything. I had no idea what was going on. I just, I like wandered into a room in a play party and I saw someone in it and... I was standing there looking, and the person facilitating was like, you want to try it? I was like, fuck yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is. It's like, I've never seen this. I'm mm-hmm. down. I, w- I want to know what, what's going on with that. So, yeah. It's Should certainly a unique um, experience and sensation that yeah. I think if it interests you, if you ever get a chance, give it a try. And it seems like a safe space for you to get in. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, I think that's going to be an important thing for us doing this, is making sure we feel safe getting people in there, because it is a liability, you know? I think it's good to err on the side of caution with anything that in, uh, incorporates breath play. Yeah, I think we, we have to be especially um, 
cognizant of like people's intoxication levels too because it is at a bar and i really yeah i don't think i want anyone getting in there that's like swerving a little swerving yeah because it's yeah you have to be able to communicate to us what's going on and Mm -hmm. we have to feel confident that you can advocate for yourself and give your safe signal if you're not doing well and so we'll, you know, can't people thrown up in the fucking back bed no, please. <laughs> we'll use our discretion and also we're gonna do a um a short like a liability contract because i think that can at least that would make me feel more safe yeah are, if they're you know opt out of earplugs or something and then for some reason their ears are ringing the next day that they know that that's something that we warned them about the risks and they made that choice and that you know what i mean yeah i wonder how loud it's gonna be because there are gonna be music and djs maybe we should make like a Mm. sign or something about what just about like the risks and it's gonna be on the contract yeah I, i think we have to require people to actually read the contract yeah make it pretty simple that's something we have to work on though yeah for sure but um speaking of vac beds um uh i've personally been writing a lot of grant proposals for us lately because after the new year you know we had such a wild year last year launching sacred sadism and doing so much and growing so much um, and I felt like for myself, I was pretty burnt out come July or January. Yeah. I was like pretty tired and pretty, uh, over it in a way. Like over hustling or doing whatever we'd been doing, you know? Yeah. The end of last year was a lot of stuff. It, yeah. I feel like it, it all piled it felt, up. It felt nice to have like, yeah, just a little... Breather. chill zone for sure it didn't really feel I nice mean, it doesn't really feel nice for me but that's no? my that's my own like pressure that i have either had enculturated or put on myself because of enculturation that i need to be doing stuff mm. do you feel like you have to be busy because i feel i don't know at least maybe it's Maybe there's, like, a difference between what you feel and, like... What I do. What you, like, say. Because I, I feel like you, you express to me a lot, like, that, you know, kind of, like, you don't have to feel like you always have to be producing and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, like, a little... It's a difference between the voice in my head that tells me what to do and me resisting that voice. Uh, okay. So, it's not that, that that pressure ever eases up. It's that I willfully negotiate with it Mm. and I'm like no I actually don't have to do that all the time or I don't need to be producing to be worthwhile or I don't you know and that's just my own like pathology as a person yeah especially as someone who grew up as like a performer you know as a performing artist and this idea of like oh well if you're not doing something publicly if you're not in the public eye you don't exist yeah that's just that's my own shit you know but I'm pretty aware of it, and I'm able to sort of mitigate and mediate it at will. But it doesn't mean it's comfortable. Yeah. So during those, I guess, first couple of months, that was really difficult for me to see things kind of slowing down and to take that break and to be really causing the circumstances for a break. You know, because you saw I wasn't, like, posting as much on Instagram or, like, doing as much or hustling as much as we had the year before, right? Yeah. 
And it's something that I almost have to do for myself so I don't burn myself out. But it doesn't mean that it's comfortable or always like pleasant for me. But I do know that it's necessary. Especially because this whole project came out because I finally took the time to slow down. And like I know for a fact that if I don't take periods of like slowness, there will be no growth. It's just yeah. like having a garden, right? Like you have the garlic that's growing. You can't force the garlic up until the garlic's ready, right? Even though you want to go pick all my damn garlic. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> but you know, as a good gardener, you know you have to be patient. Yeah. And like maybe there's nothing to pull in the garden for a few months. And for some people that's a like kind of nerve-wracking experience but when you understand what you're cultivating it's not you like know what you're cultivating so i have to like remind myself and do that kind of that that um inwardly facing practice to be like no this really has to happen for new stuff to come out you know takes time for shit to grow it does and and applying that gardening ethos to things is like really really helpful but it's like a oh sorry no it's okay i was gonna say it's like a spectrum too though because sometimes things do pop up quickly they do but you have to know other times you have to let yeah like your wheat plants you have to be like oh this thing's getting big but it's a male i gotta cut it down or something right yeah you have to be really attuned to the nuance of each plant right yeah um so all of that i mean it's not yeah i find it to be difficult for my ingrained sensibilities but important but um yeah the first couple months was like of the of this new year i mean was kind of an adjustment for me um but then recently i don't know what happened did we do something recently did we like go did we have like a performance or something recently i don't even remember Mm, i don't think we've done a performance in a in a little while. A little while. Probably, maybe not since Bound. Yeah. Um. Well, no, we did the one for my show. Oh, yeah, that's right. That was probably one of the last, like, yeah. obligations that we had, right? Yeah. And that was in January. Wasn't it? End of January? Your show? Yeah, my show mm, Your show was in November. Oh, the closing. <laughs> the yeah. Closing. No, the closing was this February. Okay, so that was, yeah. Yeah, okay. But it's, like, June now. That's what, like, is, like, crazy to me. It's, like, (laughs) that was, like, winter. And I literally hibernated. Because that's what I needed, you know? That's what you needed, yeah. But I'm sort of, like, getting, feeling more energized and excited about getting things going. So I've been applying for all these different opportunities. And one of the, for us, one of the ones I applied for was the Creative Capital Grant, which is one of the most, um, uh, what's the word? Competitive? Mm Mm-hmm grants in the country but I sort of find I rarely get grants I rarely get residencies that I apply for for whatever reason a lot of times it's oh there's a lot of different reasons right these things don't work but um that I sometimes find that just the process of doing it is helpful creatively to have to write things down yeah it seems like it's like a good way to like flush things out and like be very specific or mm-hmm. even like yeah be able to like draw out depending on what they're looking for in mm-hmm. the the grant or the application like be able to draw out different areas of your work yeah and yeah be, be define them under those parameters and i don't know yeah because i feel like our work can exist in so many different spheres yeah 
it can exist as sex education or porn or fetish or ecology or queer theory or uh, technology. You know, there's all these different ways that we can kind of, things that we can circumscribe it in. And I find that to be really helpful and interesting. And you know, like the, like the most exciting thing for me last year was that conversation we had with the writer um, from Yale. Oh yeah. Which was really theory, really philosophy oriented. Cause that's where I get, that's, that's what excites me as an artist. Yeah. I'm not um, as excited by materials and forms. They can be exciting, but that's not where I get most excited. So those conversations are really, really generative for me. And I think these applications work in a similar way. Yeah. Where I'm just like, let me try to, like you said, draw this aspect of the project. Because mm-hmm. there's so many facets to it, you know? So right now, so I was working, I was going to say about the VAC bed. I applied for the creative capital thing, and that was to like... That was a grant where I was kind of talking about making these 3D back beds that we've wanted to make. Yeah. <coughs> We're not going to get it. I'm just I'm just being <laughs> I'm just being pra- pragmatic. Like we're not going to get that grant. Maybe, but But that's I okay mean, because I had a studio visit earlier this week with someone who maybe would. Yeah. And so me writing that application helped me kind of like parse out what this project could look like yeah yeah so that when someone else who does come along and is like yeah i might have funding for that i have something kind of like at the ready you know how to talk about it you know how to mm-hmm. present it it's yeah mm-hmm. it's already sort of you've made yeah but this one uh that i'm working on now i thought it would be interesting if we kind of like live talked through these questions also because i'm very into um demystifying a lot of things but demystifying the process of art making yeah the professionalization of art making because i think people just magically get these grants and we don't really talk about how many rejections they got or how many hours they spent putting together 120 words or whatever you know these like it's like it's wild how much work can go into it yeah all for just a rejection and i mean there's other (laughs) there's a lot of other creative fields I'm sure, like, writers go through this a lot, too, right? Yeah. But <clears throat> I think that kind of thing is interesting to me because it's, like, you can spend a lot of, you can spend a lot of time, which is a resource, just, in a sense, begging for resources. For sure. You know? Um, it's a it's interesting process for me, too, because I've never applied for a grant or a residency or anything like that. But you've like auditioned. That. Yeah. I mean, I feel like auditioning is, I mean, it's similar, but it's a different thing. Like, for me, auditioning is way more comfortable for me than writing. And audition, auditioning is so uncomfortable for me. I'm not a big writer. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I, and, and auditioning is, like, different, too, because it's, like, I don't know. It's not... It's not, you're not, like, presenting, you're, you're presenting, like, your interpretation or your, like, your version of someone else's work, kind of, too. You're not putting... You're not really, mm-hmm. yeah, you're not trying to, like, explain... Something that and, comes from your own mind. Yeah, and you don't, I mean, depending on who you're auditioning for, you don't really have to justify choices you made too hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
if yeah one of if someone you're auditioning for is familiar with the work you're auditioning they may ask like why did you do it this way or mm-hmm. something but um it's more of an intuitive feeling that I get about yeah it. but I, I've never been on like a panel for art but I would assume there's a lot of similar politic at play mm. politic like who is this person who do they know there's always nepotism involved in all arts and cultural yeah. selection processes there's personal bias race class gender ability all of these things come into play when people are watching you or trying to evaluate your work yeah you know i think maybe in art uh and for places like this uh, application they're trying to they're they're actively working whether it's because they have to be woke because woke is pop is pop. pc pc is pop pc or, is pop yeah <laughs> or whatever it is um institu- art institutions are being called to be more inclusive although that's a word that's almost meaningless at this point but <laughs> they're being called to be more inclusive in who they choose which is great um but uh yeah this it's 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 weird. I, I never really auditioned, except in college. I auditioned maybe once or twice after college, and I hated it. Yeah. It's just so, like, meat markety. For sure. I mean, I don't I know. don't like how that makes me feel. It, I don't... It's like, yeah, you have to put a bound... Or at least for me, like, to put a boundary up for that, and it's just like, that's just... Yeah. It's just what it is, you know. I'm sure it's kind of like this, like, right now I'm doing an application phase where I'm just, like, running them out, running them out, not thinking too hard about it, because then I don't get attached to the ideas, even though the ideas are babies of some kind, you know? Yeah. Um, if they if it comes back, then no one wants my baby, whatever, I've done a bunch of them, it's not a big deal. I guess with auditioning, you do the same thing, you just go, go, go. Right? Yeah, till, yeah, something will eventually land. Stick, yeah. Um... So yeah, the one that I applied for was the vac bed thing, which is definitely a dream of ours, and I hope we get to realize one day. I'm sure we will, whether it's our funded or a, not. a dream budget or yeah, <laughs> self funded. We're self-funding, gonna self funding, yeah. Yeah, that's how we have to do most things. Um, but this one is for um, iBeam, which is an art and technology center in New York City. I've shown there once before, uh, or it's in Brooklyn. But um, I applied for this two years ago. And I kind of fucked up the application because I thought it was said it was um 120. It was like it says something like two thousand characters, which I read as two thousand words. Mm. <laughs> so I wrote these like really elaborate responses that I spent like at least a month on. Do you remember me working on that? Yeah. I worked so hard on that application, and then I went. I sent it to colleagues for them to proofread and give me some advice and all this <laughs> stuff. I really, really was like I'm gonna work so hard on this application for once because usually I just kind of throw it out into the ethers and then I went into the application form and it had a the character limit set and it was it was 2,000 characters not 2,000 words which is like I don't know what do we have here 667 characters right so it's like it was something like 200 words or 300 words and I'd written like many 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 more words than that three times as much um so that was kind of sad. So I didn't apply for it last year. But this year, I felt like the the open call um, theme is kind of on point for what we're doing. The open call theme is terms of refusal. Which, I don't know, what does that mean to you when you see that? Hmm. <laughs> Thinking of it in terms of technology, like... 
whatever technology means. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's like be like what are you willing to put up with what are you not willing to put up with um to me it makes what, me think of terms of agreement right yeah i think that's the word play they're doing right yeah it's like what uh what are what are the what are the terms that um do not sit right with you that where it's at the point where you're like nah i'm good mm-hmm. i don't want that mm-hmm. which i think you're what I've noticed from this year of us working together on this project is like you you have a very good sense of like what your boundary is for what you want mm. with any of this right and obviously we we talk some it over, stuff we talk it over together but I think there's certain things that you have like more of an eye for like media appearances yeah like the things that we've been offered in terms of a, a handful of people who have asked to document to make documentaries about us or document docu features or whatever yeah. I mean, I feel like that's definitely due to the time I spent working in TV and film, and, like, the majority of that was working in reality TV, and we've had a couple people, or, yeah, like, a handful. good handful mm-hmm. of kind of, like, reality, like, if you're not in in the entertainment business, reality TV and documentary TV are all lumped into the same thing called documentary (laughs) uh docuseries yeah and so i mean the stuff i was doing wasn't like as bad as some reality tv but um it's just it's it's the reason reality tv got so big is because um a you can produce a tv show the main thing is you can produce a tv show for drastically t- cheaper than is as if you were employing actual actors. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, the the people portrayed on reality TV are are not in a union. They're not making nearly as much as a unionized actor would be making. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just the overhead is so much lower. And I don't know where I was going with that, but. You're just, like, how you have kind of had some insider insights yeah, into how, just, how that industry works and people have come to us, whereas I, in the past, have been of the philosophy that there's no, no press is bad press, all exposure is good exposure, while at the same time I've kind of matured into, like, wait, exposure doesn't pay the bills, yeah. and who is exposure actually benefiting? Those are the lessons I've learned from saying yes to everything. Yeah. That like I but I feel like I've been so grateful that you've kind of had that knowledge of like this sounds like it's gonna benefit them and it's pretty us. yeah it's pretty exploitative yeah what most media companies coming especially under the guise of like a docu series or documentary or reality TV um, if they want to feature it's pretty exploitative and I mean I I also I do believe there's no such thing as bad press it really depends on what you're going for like if you're just yeah. trying to get the name out there if you know if the object of what we were doing was just to make the sacred sadism name as visible as possible and sell toys and sell yeah sell because every time we have press we get a new batch of followers and inevitably new people yeah. ask to buy something and if that's what we're going for and we don't you know, doesn't doesn't really matter. Then 
why not? But, but that's not that's, really... that's the intersection we've come to, is like, that is that what this project is really about? Yeah. Because I think we started out the project as like, well, let's just try to run this thing as a business, and we'll see what happens. And we did that, and we jumped through certain hoops, and had certain pitfalls, and learned certain things, and it kind of feels like, I know for my part, I've kind of come around to like, yeah, I don't really feel that drawn to running a business. You know, not, not in not in this sense you know being an artist is running a business yeah you're selling a service or you're selling a good you know essentially or you can choose not to do that which is also again kind of where i am as an art or where i've always been as an artist is i've sold like performance right which i don't know is performance a service it's entertainment entertainment yeah um but yeah running it kind of as a commodity driven thing has not sat right with me it has, it's not unbearable like we can still sell objects you know but it doesn't it doesn't satisfy me and i don't know how you feel about that i don't know i mean i feel like what we're doing is so niche anyways that it's yeah. not really i mean unless we're changing some of the stuff we we're making i don't think it's really like a we'd be able to like quit our day jobs kind of a thing I disagree. But, yeah. I disagree. I think when you have something like a platform, um, the truth is once you become a certain sized Instagram, you can commodify your presence if you choose to partner with bigger platforms. Yeah, that's that's the, the changing what we're doing thing, though, mm-hmm. I think. Or for or, me, that, or, that falls under changing. Yeah, it would mean mass produ- working with someone who would want to mass produce, maybe, or working with like a media company we turned down or whatever it is, you know, yeah. it's something that's going to be like, okay, we're going to, w- are we going to have to compromise some kind of integrity? Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's, that's a change for me and what we're doing. Like I like making each piece that, you know, each, each thing we send out to someone mm-hmm. has like our touch on it. Mm-hmm. We've given thought to it. We've given love to it. And taken into consideration whomever is buying it what they've asked for what they you know whatever story they've told about how what we're doing has touched them or mm-hmm. you know and to me I feel like that's something special and that that makes making each piece like a joy yeah to see what that journey is taking in all the variables of okay we have this wood we have this plant piece we can use the person mm-hmm. wants this they <laughs> want this because they're their partner really loves purple sweet smelling flowers mm-hmm. and that makes them think of their mom mm-hmm. I don't know mm-hmm. and yeah just the s- stirring all of that <laughs> into a pot and seeing what comes out and it's like wow look mm-hmm. at that thing mm-hmm. I hope they love it yeah and I guess um like thinking of that this is what I'm focusing on this application how do those objects act as technology and end up themselves mm. Um, why don't I read a little bit about what we have here sure. so far, and then we'll kind of get it. So we have uh, some of these questions I've done. It's 120 words, so these there's, I think, four or five questions, and um, like four questions in a bio, and there's not a lot of room to articulate what we're doing or where we want to go. It's a real challenge, but it's a good challenge, you know? Yeah, because each, each prompt is like you can only use 120 words. Yeah. <clears throat> so for our bio, I just changed this because I thought 
thinking about the th- not only the things that we chose to align with or chose to broadcast on, but the things we refused to broadcast on were relevant for this application. And given the theme. Given yeah. the theme, terms of refusal, um, which to me is like a little bit about resistance. Of like terms, terms of agreement is like the way that we're all webbed in and intertwined in these big media conglomerates and we click the agree box without reading any of the fine print and like that's mm-hmm. the terms of agreement right we have just like got on the moving sidewalk and we're on it now because it's easier than not being on the moving sidewalk right because yeah. we desire to connect with people and if you get off the moving sidewalk it's a lot harder to get to the place where you can connect with people yeah and we want the things and we're just like uh, i don't care just give me the thing give me the thing which is connection care. right yeah. when i'm talking about i guess i'm talking about social networks in particular uh, um social networks the thing we want most is human connection yeah and it is the primary way that we find most people find a lot of their human connection these days right yeah because it's a base human need um, so terms of refusal is like, what do we refuse? What what do we choose to resist in trying to seek that connection, right? So for example, our projects, we do yes, we want as many people to connect to it as possible, but there's certain terms of refusal that we're going to instigate because we could connect with like a much broader audience if we broadcast it on this platform right yeah but we're choosing not to because something about that platform doesn't sit right with us doesn't feel integrous it's not that the people who came to us wouldn't like that those wouldn't be important connections but there's something about connecting in that way that's not right yeah is that that essentially and we don't yeah we don't want we don't want to be misconstrued. Yeah, and uh, so many of those media platforms are just looking for uh, Shock, sensational fodder to yeah. like just shit out so they can get the most clicks. Get their which clicks is, that day. Yeah, they don't they don't care about presenting or representing the people that they are interviewing using their mm-hmm. work Exploit. in a yeah in a in a in a genuine nature to what they're trying to do. They're just you know trying to put a freak party out there to get clicks yeah which is the name of their that commodity game yeah so for our bio i just updated this i said sacred sadism is a series of eco-fetishist experiences and functional art objects made of salvaged wood copper and artificial plants co-created by Temboline and genevieve bellavo they are currently using the trope of their online business as a catalyst for investigating anthropocentric narrative and alternatives to the capital accumulation model their collaborations have been featured on Art Forum, Artspace, ID, Flaunt, Sledever, and Contemporary, among others. They have refused media appearances with Vice TV, Barcroft Media, <coughs> Evolution Productions, and Canal Plus produce Productions, and continue to challenge the concept of mainstream success as exposure for corporate consumption. I thought that would be a fun little bio to show that, like, in, in essence, like, what we're doing, if it isn't, if it isn't that yet, that's where we're moving. Yeah. Do you agree? I mean, I yeah. feel like I feel like we can keep making the objects, but we can more loudly and boldly state that these are the terms of our production. Absolutely. You know, because I think like this first year, like I've I think we um, I don't know if we talked about this, but we kind of just played by the rules. We we're like, what makes a good business? What's good customer service? If we were the consumer, what would we want done to us? Like a very like golden rule kind of business practice right yeah 
what's ethical? What's not ethical? Wow, this isn't ethical. So we're not going to say that's ethical, that kind of thing, you know, trying to be as transparent as possible as like an ethical business practice in itself, right? Even if not every practice within the practice is ethical. Yeah, I, th- I feel like we're st- those are still important things to they us, are. though, being transparency and honesty and... Yeah, and I think on top of that is being like, okay, now we're not going to perform this idea of business, of being a business. We're going to be very honest about what that means and what we think is bullshit about it. Mm-hmm. Or what we think is bullshit about the attempt to be a success as a business person. You know, those things are things I think, like, people talk about. You know, there's a lot of small businesses, especially on Instagram. It's a huge platform for entrepreneurship, right? For sure. I think also, though, it depends on who's defining success and how you define success, Mm -hmm. too. I mean, of course, there's, like, the collective mainstream kind of view of it. You want me to read this? Sure. (coughs) So... I'm sorry, I think I'm sick. <laughs> Do you have the consumption? I don't know. Tell us how your work relates to this year's theme, Terms of Refusal. This is uh, one of four questions, and I've only answered two. In 2017, we decided to present this project as an online store selling BDSM impact play tools. We undertook this as a thought experiment in running a small business in a way that felt ethical to us. We've come to the conclusion that by LARPing entrepreneurship... Are you okay with me saying LARPing? Yeah. Are you sure? Why not? Because you've had contention with that term in the past. I didn't have contention with it. I, what I was saying is where the root of LARPing. Okay. We have come to the conclusion that by LARPing entrepreneurship, we can only nominally refuse the terms of service overridden onto our every waking moment by the profit-driven narrative of success. We are interested now in rethinking the economic structure of the project and refusing to define our growth by the metrics of a systemically sick society. But how do we do this while remaining online and in compliance? How do we avoid the pitfalls of back-to-the-land utopianism? Should we make LARP an acronym, though? No, that's... I think it's, like, generally understood. You don't need to put the dots in there. It's It's, like, a pretty well understood acronym, especially in tech. The tech world, a lot of people use LARP as, like, a... It's, like, a well-explored terrain for technological art. Now the people reading us going to be tech people now? Yeah, it's tech and art. That's the, the mm. place we're reading. They'll definitely be familiar with it. There's some really big names in tech art that have used LARPing as their like main thing. I'm not worried about it. Um, <coughs> uh, what do you think of this last line? Because I think maybe you and I diverge a little. The pitfalls of Back to the Land utopianism how do we avoid the pitfalls of back to the land utopianism what does that mean to you um so it's like i feel like there's kind of this like 60s adage of tune in turn on and drop out kind of thing or like the only way to resist the system that you're in is to remove yourself from it and what i my utopianism is that you can resist it while remaining within it and transform it. But that's like a mole mentality, which mm. maybe isn't correct, but I don't know. You know, I, I feel like I'm not quite at the point where, not that I'm not ready, I just distrust the idea that extracting oneself matters. Mm, I mean, it depends what you're going for. I think, I think. I think you kind of have two options. It's like... Only it's, two? Well, it's... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> there's, there's... 
we we have to get everyone or we have to get, we not maybe not everyone we have to get like a what's the word like the critical mass critical mass on board with with disbanding the system um or or you remove yourself from the system it's mm. it's like the system's still going to continue even if you remove yourself but if it's at a point where you cannot stand to live under that then i think removing yourself's your only option yeah but it's also nearly impossible to actually do that you can't actually remove it's, yourself. You can buy land and pay taxes on the no, land. No, it's not impossible. It's it's not impossible at all. But it's you're gonna have to. It's going to be very uncomfortable for you if you're yeah. not used to that. Like, there's plenty of a white like open land where you can be untouched. You can cross mm-hmm. the border into Canada and go into one of the mm-hmm. midwestern territories there where there's nobody. And I don't like that idea. I'm not saying you have to do that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm saying that it's possible. Okay. Um, which, which is what I, what I'm saying is, are you willing to pay, are you willing mm. to give up, uh, everything that, you know, for the most part, <coughs> most people born in the United States have become very comfortable with a certain amount of comfort or just, you know, just available, availability of material things. And yeah, like most people aren't ready to start shitting in a hole in the ground Mm -hmm. and or not have running water you know or go out and grow their own food or like hunt for themselves so they can stay alive knowing that you're able to do all those things what does that do about the fact that all of this shit is crumbling and fucked how does that add anything to the world like knowing knowing that you can go live off the land and survive to me this is my personality, maybe. I feel way more drawn to try to fix what's fucked up or try to add something to help fix what's fucked up than to just extract myself. I don't think you can fix it, though. It's got to go away. The dis- it must be dismantled. Then to burn it down, even if it yeah. means, like, with your own body. Yeah, but but that's... I don't know. All It depends where you, where you are personally mm. in that. If you're at the point where you can't take it anymore, then why not go yeah and we're at the point right now where we don't have critical mass so to me the logical move there is to try like i don't know i guess for me is i'm not really into like you can't force anyone to see what they're not ready to see no, but the beauty of art is that you can show people things they didn't see before. For sure. And, I, like, you know, we've had conversations about this before. Is, is like, I think you should do what you feel comfortable doing. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, when it comes to protesting or creating change. Like, if you're a person that has the energy and has the has that th- your I'm, personality be on the front lines. I'm not like talking that. about protests. I'm talking about art making because <clears throat> that's what this is about. Yeah, I'm I'm talking more generally, oh. like whether where wherever you are in the spectrum. If you're like can't take anymore, gotta pl- gotta unplug, gotta get out, or you're on on the lines of I want to sh- help whoever's whoever's on that. At, at the precipice, like, help help uh, help reveal what's there for people who are 
at that line where they're ready to see so let's more. let's stay then on this thought experiment that <clears throat> we're going to stay within society and create this art project during this time period whatever it is that's going to show people something Mm-hmm. Show something that we've been looking at about what BDSM power exchange, na- relationship to nature, interconnectedness with nature, right? How, what does it mean then in terms of the terms of refusal to do that while still like the things we have to choose to do to share that are things that I think like we know are also fucked up. Like there's something very like fucked up about even just Instagram, right? Mm hmm. Like, we know that that's, like, a deeply <clears throat> pathologizing and, like, uh, crazy-making platform, right? The way that it censors sex and uh, people of color and all of those things that are just, like, sometimes just gnarly. We can't post an ad from our, quote, business account because it's sex, right? Because you're not allowed to sell that for yeah. some reason. Um, so it's like, let's just say we stay with the experiment of doing that thing how do you mediate using this terrible tool to to get the tools that we believe in into more people's hands like it's like the master's house master's tool question right Mm -hmm. so like for the sake of the thought experiment how do we how do we talk about that is it just a necessary evil i mean it's a it depends it's a it's a tool, yes. Mm. I don't know. It depends on, yeah, how, what are you willing to dip into? Mm. You know, because, <clears throat> like, like on the previous question where we're like, we refused going with these media companies because of X, Y, and Z. They're, they're just looking for clickbait. Right. But the ones we did go with, I'm sure support things yeah. that we don't agree with. ID is so, part of Vice. Yeah. Right? Um, and, and Instagram is part of Facebook, and Facebook is part of whatever other conglomerate, right? Or yeah. is Facebook one of the big conglomerates? All of them are interconnected in this mesh, this web, that's like, of, cor- of course, doing terrible things. And by giving it content, we're feeding it, we're stoking its fire, and allowing it to exist and continue to accrue capital. Solely because we as individuals are all throwing our coins in the well, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, that's just like, to me, that's one of the things we don't have to have an answer for, for this application, but it's one of the things that I would want to look at were we given the time to look at those things. Um, I think it's within the scope of the project, right? If we're talking about using BDSM to examine systems of domination and control, both within ourselves and without ourselves. Yeah. And I mean, like going back to what you're saying about like using this media platform of Instagram, you know based on, <coughs> excuse me, like what we're doing, it's becoming increasingly hard mm-hmm. to use the, that as a tool, you know, as, fe- as Festa, Fosta, Sesta mm-hmm. um, continues to... Sense. We had our whole website taken down last yeah. week and it was awful. I had to take everything that I had worked very, very hard to format and... Uh, construct using a free platform on Tumblr because I was like cool one of the important things for us in our business was trying to like do everything we could to not have a middleman taking money out of the money we were trying to create for ourselves independently right yeah so I made our website on Tumblr and then all of a sudden I went to our website 
after having been on it the night before and it was just gone. I just couldn't access it because it contained sensitive content, supposedly. All that's on there are tools, but I think I had hashtagged them BDSM, uh, hashtag ain't butt plug, things like that, that I assume because of the SESTA FOSTA, um, the, the, because of that law Tumblr, it probably started to censor anything that had those hashtags on it, I would guess, because they had taken down anything porn, kink, sex related, right? Yeah. Even sculptures. Um, so that was frustrating, you know, and yeah, it does become increasingly different to have just open conversations about these things. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, that's what I'm, I guess what, it, what the fuck was I trying to get at is like, it, even though it's a tool that, you know, we can use, it's mm-hmm. more and more becoming not that usable, not usable. that u- useful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of censorship and because these mass uh, social media um, tools are basically all controlled by the same, what, like three companies. Mm-hmm. And um, Excuse they're, they're all in bed with each other and with government and with big money. Mm-hmm. So those are two questions I have that I think aren't to be answered now, but are something I'd be interested in is like, how do we remain online and in compliance with the terms of agreement and all of those platforms that like are things we can't ethically get on board with, right? But we still want to connect with people and have show this art piece that might like turn people's way of thinking about certain things, as is the role of art. and then how do we disconnect ourselves from those systems without the, what I, what I think of when I say back to the land utopianism is this idea that you can go off and create your own world and it will be sustainable while outside of that. And also in affecting that are all this uh, fucked up systems that continue to perpetuate the fucked up things they do and continue to broaden their reach, you know, to touch parts of your life that maybe when you went back to the land didn't think could be touched, but all of a sudden there they are, you know what I mean? It doesn't stop that machine from rumbling. No, I mean, that's what I was saying. Is yeah. Removing yourself doesn't... doesn't everything's still going to be going on. But if but that's... It, but if but that's, it could be a term of, that's a term if of that's, refusal. If yeah. that's what you need to do to yeah. take care of yourself, sure. then you need to do that. You know. So those are interesting questions. Here's the other one I answered, and then we should look at the other two. How far along are we? We've been kind of blathering for a while, but... Um, what are your goals for impact and social relevance in your practice? We propose that power exchange be examined not just between human but non-human entities. By role-playing scenarios that incorporate natural materials and stand-ins for natural beings, we offer a queer ecological touchpoint for solving the pressing issues of the current mass extinction event. We call the objects we create tools because they are more than sex toys or artworks. We view them as technological catalysts for participants to examine their role within hierarchies of power. Through our online performance, we provide frameworks and guidance for challenging and disassembling these roles. These tools are fetish objects in the historical sense, and we would like to ultimately offer them as gifts rather than merchandise and model an alternative economy for exchange. So yeah, how does that, uh, what do you think? (laughs) I wrote it. I need some feedback. (laughs) I like it. You know, I like it. I told you it before. How does that, 
<laughs> what's does that so goals for social relevance what does that mean that's like uh, creating all the gift economy is an it's an alternative economy that's it been is. suggested by philosophers and uh, most notably a linguist and philosopher um, and gifting and gifting and barter have been Burning Man is a good example of the gift. Yeah. But I mean, these aren't these aren't new technologies. These are things that are very old for right. humans. Right. So they're proto technologies. Yeah. Um, yeah. The fetish object being like a not a technology, in, but in a sense, it, to me, I think of the fetish object historically as a kind of technology because it's like a it's, it like, is, a, yeah. it's like a, ha- a hand receiver to the gods yeah you use the object to contact deities right or higher powers of some sort yes or yeah you or you imbue them with power mm-hmm. and yeah that's a technology i think so um so that's why i'm calling them technological catalysts and i think that kind of leads into how we want to describe our relationship to technology, which is the next question. Are, oh, sorry, that that like jogged something. I can't remember what what I was listening to. It was a podcast, something they were talking talking about technology, and mm-hmm. it was about how we never discuss. We only discuss like mechanical technology, right. like physical things, but spiritual technology. I think it might might have been the our old buddy Lorenzo's podcast. Mm-hmm. What, what is buddy that Buddy Lorenzo. Um, Psychic Salon. The Psychedelic Salon, Psychedelic yeah. It was some salon. speaker on the Psychedelic Salon talking about, um, like, spiritual technology, uh, emotional technology. Um, sure. And how, uh, in our modern world, like, there, we, we have, we, there's no discussion around those things. Um, right, and I think, I mean, I think we are... I thought uh, for a long time that, like, our internet, the way internet functions, and, like, like a search engine is, like, a god figure, right? It's, like, what has th- historically been, like, dear god, and you ask god for an answer, right? But now yeah. we can just go here and be, like, why is my fucking hand itching <laughs> all the time now? And then you get your answer, eczema. And it's, like, this much more, it's a different kind of, Technology, but I feel like prayer and a lot of like religious ritual acted as that that technology. How do I media? How do I deal with the unknown? Because there's so much unknown as humans, right? And there's yeah. such a thirst for knowledge. There's so much unknown, but the the internet literally is all of human experience. It is our collective known. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a bunch that's unknown beyond that too. Oh right? yeah, for sure. Right. But I feel like maybe maybe like you come to the internet with a personal unknown, but I wouldn't I'd say that the internet the internet is the known. Mm. It's it's the it's, <coughs> it's like yeah, it's like a technological representation of the collective human experience. Mm-hmm. I think of I've thought of it as like thinking of the internet as spiritual for a long time and I still think of it that way, that it's a spiritual tool first and foremost mm, in what way um i think there's such a diverse uh as unique as there are human beings way to use it you know mm-hmm. um and that uh like i think thinking of the fetish object like the object that you have you want to make contact with other beings or life forces or divinity or whatever um and that's like the catalyst or the way that you do that I think that this, like, these objects 
of computers and phones have become this like all in one fetish object and they are fetishized too at this point in the sense of like mm, they can have like almost a sexual component with like their tactility and the way that we care for them and worry about them where is it oh my god i left my house without it and all of this stuff you know yeah. there's a real emotional connection too right the objects but then the the function of the object is connection and like knowledge seeking which i think like prior to the internet was also the role of religion you know connection to others the world and the supernatural world a sense of connection to it you know and beyond that there's like religious ritual that's not religious in like the western sense but like shamanic activity and hallucinogens and the things that you're interested yeah in, i was about know? to say like by religion what do you mean Cause yeah that definition mean, sounds like organized religion i mean western not, religion but yeah. but i know that yeah there's obviously a lot of other ways that people have used tools and plants and their environment to connect to the idea of divinity as well yeah mm-hmm. and i think of our tools as just another way of doing that because i mean in a simple manner, you can have out-of-body, divine um, experiences, ecstatic, traditional religious ecstatic experiences, experiences that are similar to religious ecstasies, you know, that, like, monks and nuns and people would feel by through their masochistic practices. You can experience that in partnered BDSM, you know, Um, which is just, like, endorphins and stuff, but... Right, endorphins and dopamine or something. Yeah. What happens? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, all those good chemicals start running. But, I mean, those that, that that's how I came into this project was by masochistic practice and being like, oh, well, this seems really similar to BDSM, obviously. Yeah. And um, there's a lot of intersection there to me. Um, but so what's your relationship to technology? So to all. Techno- what do you mean by technology? Do you mean your I mean Dremel? Any, I mean any any anything that I that I use to help me understand or manipulate the, the world. world around me. Yeah. Yeah. Language is technology. Language is technology, mushrooms are technology. Yeah, my hand tools for Are woodworking. mushrooms technology? Yeah. I think of technology as man made. I don't think I don't think or man cultivated. Mushrooms aren't man cultivated. They can be, yeah, <laughs> they can be, but they also I mean, are derived from natural. But I mean, mechanisms. think of everything we have. We we learned that from the from the something outside of us. We learned yeah. fire from watching lightning strike, and sure. we're like, oh, that provides <laughs> light. And mm-hmm. eventually, someone was not scared of it enough to go up and grab a burning branch and they're like we got the fire Mm. and then you know now we think of a lighter as a tool but Mm -hmm. that came from like observation yeah Yeah. i mean same thing with like i don't know maybe someone a long time ago like watched i don't know a uh coconut fall off a tree tree and hit a rock and it split open they're like oh shit i can eat that mm. so then we started cracking open coconuts mm-hmm. you know i don't so what how would you describe your relationship because this in this question i'm going to try to in 120 words <laughs> get both of our perspectives across i feel like since we're 
So there's a question below this that says, which of the nine potential areas of focus feels more urgent to you, most urgent to you? And right now I chose ancestral knowledge and present reimaginings of technology um, because you were describing how sort of self-teaching yourself a lot of these tools is an important part of the project for you. Yeah, uh, I mean, with woodworking and wood sculpting, is like I have zero formal training. I have no real training in carpentry or anything like that. And, like, it's more for me about, like, a self-discovery and a self-learning of these things. I'm sure someone in my ancestors, many of my ancestors, taught each other how to do things mm-hmm. to to survive in their environments, whether it was making tools for food gathering or, or your pipes for shelter smoking hallucinogenic. Or, <laughs> I haven't made any pipes for smoking hallucinogens, but smoking hallucinogens. <laughs> smoke the old hallucinogen. The I mean, you could butter. probably put that in the pipe I made something, some but opium. Probably put some opium in there. Mm-hmm. Um, But, yeah, that ancestral knowledge, I don't know. I feel in uh, thinking about my background and stuff, I feel very cut off from a lot of where my people have come from because of, like, a bunch of variables. Like, I'm a super multi-ethnic person, and... uh, my big chunk of my ancestors were brought to the Americas as slaves, so I have no idea where in Western Africa they were from, or no idea about any of that history or culture. Um, my mom's part Penobscot, and they're an indigenous people from the Northeast United States and Southeast Canada. And I have no idea about any of their practices or culture, so I don't know. I feel very, like, lost in a cultural heritage sense, because I don't have any of that, Mm. where a lot of other POC people I know can point directly, like, oh, yeah, I know my parents are from this country in Asia, or from... I mean, certainly a lot of indigenous knowledge is lost in South America. Um, but I feel like there's maybe a little bit, little bit more, they're a little bit more able to reclaim some of that since, depending on where you're from in South America, there still are indigenous people in those places and some of their customs have been integrated. Mm-hmm. But... What about the Penobscot tribe nation? What about it? Is there information? Or there, that's they're still they they, they have still... a website. Mm-hmm. I mean, the last Penobscot speaker died a while ago, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're trying to Passive. revive the language. Um, I'm not sure how many people are left, but mm-hmm. not that many. There's some history, though. There's some, yeah. Are they? Was it like Penobscot and Algonquin? Are those the main tribes? They're they're part of they like the, the Penobscot language is an Algonquin oh, language. Gotcha. Um. But yeah, I don't know my my one link to that 
part of my history was my grandfather who died when I was, I don't know, under 10. Probably like, I think my sister was alive. So, I mean, not alive, like she was born. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it was somewhere like around six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, my, my mom didn't have a super great relationship with her parents. So I didn't spend a whole lot of time with them. I think probably, if I can remember, probably less than five times hanging out with my mom's parents that I can consciously remember. Um, And of course, like, you know, when you're that young, you don't really, you can't, don't really think to ask about like your cultural history or anything like that. And I don't, I don't think my grandfather really grew up Penobscot either. He never registered with the government or I don't think his parents did either, like, for survival because otherwise they would have been shipped off to a reservation and I guess they they passed enough or lived in an area where they could survive. What about like what we think of as like technology as in cutting edge technology? Do you is there do you feel like a relationship to cutting edge technology meaning things like computers, cars, things like that that I mean, that the like the um, that because those sectors are so white dominated, is there, I, I, this is just like conjecture, but like, is there something that's like, uh, like, does it ever feel like it's not for you or something? Cause I feel like there's a lot of bias built into tech. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. Cause I mean, it's like, like the soap dispensers, the dark, yeah. dark skin kind of thing. You know? I mean, it's, if you, I mean, first of all, like what is cutting edge technology? Cutting edge technology sure. is just driven by capitalism. Sure. <clears throat> I mean, I'm, su- I'm, I'm a, I, I would self describe as a tech nerd. I love all the new shiny shit and what's being developed and all that stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, yeah, if you look at who's who's in Silicon Valley, who's designing, who's programming these things, it's not it's not a majority of brown people. Like Or women, it's all it's, Or women, yeah. yeah, it's all <coughs> it's a lot of white dudes. Because um, I think about that a lot, like uh And it's I mean, yeah, it's like uh I forget what it was I think it was yeah, it was some podcast I was I was listening to and they were talking about AI and how like how like some of the like primitive primitive forms that we've created now have like their creators biases built in mm-hmm. and how I can't remember what project it is I want to say it was Google or something like that where they it was like this active learning software where it just kind of like took in all the shit on the internet like of the human experience and built a model off of that and it quickly descended into like racist and mm-hmm. uh bigoted language mm-hmm. um because that's you know a big part of what's out there at least in the american internet well and i wonder how you know those are the people shaping tech and then how that shapes us the consumers of that tech you know yeah the things, well, that, the things that we use every day i mean just think about you can you know you don't even have to like think about it we have live models of it right now look at the like setup of this country yeah. <clears throat> all like all the laws are inherent all, are 
have a racial bias put into them because of slavery and how this country started and how they gained such economic prowess off of slavery. Mm -hmm. And even though many of those laws, like the blatantly racist laws, have like alternatives now, but like, yeah, look how the justice system works. And Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, it's like an extension of classism too, because it, it works against poor people mm-hmm. and then um think about when i go to the library to like print stuff out you know mm-hmm. i don't have a printer and like imagining i tried to print out our insurance form that's why it took so long is because you're not allowed to what print out insurance forms i guess because they're probably afraid of someone faking an insurance form or something really how do they know you're printing an insurance form i don't know but it wouldn't let me open it anywhere and i finally figured a workaround somehow by like going into some other program and it just it was real it was like what it was weird i was wondering what took so long no because it it should have taken five minutes and it took me almost 15 minutes just to print this one piece of paper um because i guess yeah they have an administrative block on it because they assume someone's going to try to fraud isn't going to scam right mm-hmm. right on a public computer or something which i mean if you're going to do a scam you have to do it on the library computer yeah smartest thing to do <laughs> <laughs> but it was weird i don't know that i just thought of that but that's how the also just not have not having access to technology having 15 minutes at a time to do the things you have to do like apply for a job or something like that i mean that's yeah me. But those are the those are the, like the quick sit down computers. You can I think get a you longer can, one. Yeah, yeah you, you can, can get you a have one to hour. sign up. Yeah, you can get a one hour one. But even then, I used to do that when I lived in my RV and my uh, computer was broken. I would go for an hour and try to apply to jobs or try to get whatever I had to get done done. And it's it's difficult, you know. Not having access to technology is a problem. We don't. I don't personally know enough about, you know, because I have always had the privilege of having access. Yeah, it's a huge thing, especially as more and more um, our world becomes, like, uh, virtual and, yeah. yeah. Excuse me. All right, so we'll we'll figure out, I'll, I'll, I'll draft something up from that question. Um, tell us why you want, what you want to do during your time at iBeam. Why is iBeam the right place? You don't know as much about iBeam as I do, but... Well, what we want to do is have the time to induce lactation. (laughs) The time and overhead to just get on a a feeding schedule. It's ancestral technology. Uh, yeah. A mouth breast pump. It's it's actually... (laughs) There's ancestral technology. (laughs) And it's a newer reimagining of that technology. Yes, we'll make it. Because, I mean, when when the food chain, like... With mass extinction, the food chain, as we're seeing with No Plant 19, is going to be seriously compromised, and we're going to have to learn how to use each other's bodies for sustenance. Yes. That's a good... I think that's actually... I think, I think we can do it. No Plant 19. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag No Plant 19, if you don't know what I'm talking about. Look it up. Um... Uh, I don't know what I would want to do, honestly. I just want the time and the money to do the things we need to do. That's how I work as an artist. Yeah. So answering this question is really difficult. Um, is this one where we? Is this the one where they they have a space? Yeah. So they okay. have a space. Um, uh, it's like this big kind of big loft space in Brooklyn, right in the Navy Yards, I think, or uh, parks. I don't know. Right on the water, um, and. 
You can have a dedicated desk space there and they have a bunch of quote technology that you can use stuff like VR and um, 3D printing and what was that one thing we were looking at that was like oh the 3D 3D uh, laser cutter it's basically a CNC machine sure so there's some cool tools you can use if you have something specific which to me honestly having access to certain kinds of tools sparks certain kind of ideas you know so I mean if we could 3D print one of our tools and like have that as a uh, something that we could then make all of our molds from that yeah. would be so much easier than hand or yeah 3d print molds yeah exactly yeah. exactly so having that kind of thing uh having access to that kind of thing would be very cool um and helpful and maybe spark new ideas and new directions i just think um for me to having just a dedicated having um funding to the tune of 22 grand which is a lot of not a lot of money for most people but for us is a lot it's a lot of money to me yeah that's a chunk of change we're running pretty bare bones yeah (laughs) we're paycheck to paycheck type people so that having a chunk where we're like we don't have to worry if we need to buy this material and it fails and we can't use it um you know we can have room for error in a sense which is a luxury all our bills (laughs) and we can still pay our all our bills and uh for me too like uh, I think being around other people who are thinking in this way is very invigorating for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I really, rec- like, I, I get annoyed with it after a while, but there are times when I really desire and long for, like, intellectual stimulation. People who are thinking of things theoretically and thinking of things from, like, pretentious art school backgrounds is actually kind of important to me, and yeah. that's okay. That's, like what I signed up for. I so. just want to um, go hang out with the people that are working with the machines. Yeah, and, like, and that's the thing. <laughs> I want to like, learn about that. But that's part of why our partnership works. You yeah. know, you, it's better if you're not involved in the pretentious shit that I am. Because <laughs> I can write the little applications and we can figure out ways of making it really cool and beautiful for everybody, you know? But so, yeah. I mean, do we want to propose a certain project? Is there a certain thing we want to say we're going to do what are some of the things we've been talking about i mean like the back beds or do back beds silicone? or silicone molding yeah or yeah. <sighs> or not molding but casting but also rethinking the economic structure of the project i think that like theoretical backbone is important to what this call is about mm-hmm. i mean <laughs> who knows maybe if we can if we can yeah get some silicon stuff and we can find create or maybe someone there has an idea of ways we can easily easily and not too expensive and yeah not for for i'm getting all tongue-tied and for a not too expensive way like make our own molds then maybe we can use some of that money to like cast like 200 some things like aloe plants or something like that we can make handles for them we can do something do some create some kind of experience or figure out some way of like being able to just give them out because that's ultimately really what we want to do we can make create some kind of performance that we can tour around and just that's about the gift if we yeah that highlights the gift we have like 300 of those or 400 of those or something Mm -hmm. that we can yeah just give out Mm -hmm. so thinking of ways that we can create the gift because creating the gift um 
is difficult to do when you don't have resources and time and you work jobs and you're tired and like create you know gifting for a friend is is different than gifting on a it's like so we've always talked about how we don't want to do mass production but what if we did like a mass gifting or something yeah. like a mass gifting experiment yeah um and it's like mass gifting happens but mass gifting I mean, is used as like a marketing tool mm. and it doesn't go to people who need the thing. It, like, you know, like the Oscars or whatever, the infamous like gift bags at the Oscar parties. Yeah. Like those people don't need shit. They're all Rich fucking, people get all kinds they're of all gifts. fucking wealthy actors and producers and directors. They don't need shit. Like, so who would the mass gift be for? Whoever asked for it? I don't know. I guess it really depends on what we decide how how we're going to disseminate them do we create some kind of inter interactive performance that that's part of like i think i think for me at least like just coming up with this this brain brainstorming mm -hmm. this like 2 seconds ago something that maybe we can tour or go around mm -hmm. and present a work mm -hmm. in different place different cities different places mm -hmm. um you know, yeah, maybe it's something where we connect with different, like, some kind of, some kind of underground kink scene or something like that, or, mm -hmm. I don't know, or, or, yeah, I don't know, reach out to our followers and do, like, a lottery of people who are like, hey, do you have, can you get a group of 20 people together, or, and we'll randomly draw 15 places where we're going to show up. Huh. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, this this is, it's like, it can all be conjecture, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm more interested in, like, the, what the gift would symbolize outside of um, what, because I think, like, I think, like, a way that the gift functions right now is as a promotional vehicle. Mm -hmm. We've done that ourselves this year, right? Yeah. Given a gift, not with the expectation that someone would say something about it, but with the belief that they might, you know, kind of thing. So it's like that, you know, and that's, like, how influencers work on Instagram, right? Hey, let me send you this vagina salve or whatever. Remember that company? That yeah. <laughs> Some vagina sorrels. They're just giving a quote gift out of the kindness of their heart, but there is all. I think that there's like the. I think the idea of a gift has become somewhat distorted in social media, social influence, right, or online entrepreneurship. The gift has become something that like you don't because like a true gift is you don't expect anything in return. Yeah. Um, I think that idea is, bec is becoming a little distorted in that realm where it's like you don't expect anything in return, but you're going to think it's a little weird if they don't say something about it, but they don't have to. But you know what I mean? I'm not talking about like the most recent gift we, mm. we sent out. I'm talking about like earlier things, right? Um, <coughs> so I think like there's an interesting distortion happening with gifting, especially gifting between companies or influencers or brands or whatever so i think there's something like kind of ripe and interesting there that could be talked about you know what's happening to the gift because of technology because of mm -hmm. platform 
and then figure out how we can create a performance or some kind of action that highlights that or al- offers an alternative to that or talks about how an alter- alternatives or pr- proto-alternatives, things the gift <laughs> as it originally was, um, exist. Even Santa Claus gets cookies for the gift, you know? What's the deal with that? I don't know. You're supposed to give Santa cookies. It's a bribe. Maybe it's just supposed to be a token, like a gesture, like you leave something on the altar. He gets hungry. Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I wonder if there was a if there was a root to the cookie gift. Probably a pagan thing. I feel like I've read that when wonder, it was a pagan ritual. Yeah, I wonder if there was, like you know, a, when we first started the podcast, when we did that episode about like Chris, mm-hmm. Christmas origins and stuff like that. I wonder if there was something with like the Arctic shamans. Like, if the people left something for the... Well, it kind of reminds me of the solstice ritual of leaving butter on your doorway for Beiwei. Because mm. the idea is that Beiwei eats it for energy to continue her journey um, through the sky. Beiwei is the yeah. sun goddess, right? Because, I mean, it's all... All of it breaks down to the life cycle. It's like, mm-hmm. for new life, you must give life. Okay, here's what I'm finding. It's adapted from a solstice ritual. Of course. <laughs> <coughs> Blah, blah, blah. The act of leaving gifts for sacred or supernatural beings is a practice that dates back thousands of years. Santa is a divination of European influence. Modern cookie traditions are adapted from solstice-themed pagan rituals in pre-Christian Europe, during which gifts of food were offered to the spirits or ancestors in exchange for a blessing. Um, Yeah, I feel like a food offering is, like, probably one of the oldest. Yeah. Like, I remember um, my girlfriend in, in high school, like, we went to, I can't remember when it was, but we went to, like, their, her, maybe, like, I don't know who it was. It was some, like, great uncle, great aunt, someone like that, mm-hmm. but we went to, like, their, it was, like, a... I think it was, like, a Buddhist thing, and we went to, like, their, their grave, and, like, yeah, we left, like... Food, money, like, mm-hmm. gifts and stuff like that. Like a way of honoring the ancestors. Okay, so those are those. What else? we got to make a video. We've got to do project samples. But yeah, it's, it's hard to put that stuff into 120 words. I mean, we just spent like an hour and a half talking about it. <laughs> Rambling. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean... Kudos to you if you sat through this. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't entertaining they always sit through it whoever they are thank you um anyway i guess i'm gonna work on that today sun's sudden sun's come down sun's come down the sky um is there anything else you want to talk about no i don't think so you <laughs> mm-hmm well, thanks, guys. Thanks for listening. Um, if you have any ideas about uh, terms of refusal, things that you thought of uh, while we were talking, things we're missing out on seeing, or things that uh, popped up for you, if you're familiar with who we are and what we do, give us an email. End of the show. Tell you how. Yeah. Okay, bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Cosmic Halitosis. 
If you have questions or comments or want to yell something at us, email us at cosmic with a K halitosis, cosmic halitosis at gmail.com. Please subscribe and like the podcast. And you can follow us on our personal Instagram accounts. I am gorgeous taps and Temba is Tembizzle, T E M B I Z Z L E. Thanks for listening.